All right, everybody, this is it. No matter technical glitches, we are not afraid of anything. Where I actually am afraid of everything, but I have a partner who, who helps me with that. I'm very lucky. Welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. It's the show that the New England Journal of Medicine says run, don't walk about. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick, a Hebrew inaction figure. My co-host, Jennifer Kalari, coming up in just a minute. We welcome entertainers, comedians, funny people from all fields who talk about their mental health and practice resilient skills, skills-based entertainment, mental health. Mental fitness is a practice. It's an action. It's something that you do. It may be something you do. It's not something I do, but I'm working on it. On today's show, the return of the great Wayne Fetterman, comedian, actor, author of a new book called The History of Stand-Up, The Entire History. Wayne is joining us shortly, and Jennifer will be with us shortly. I'd like to talk about a lot of things about what makes people laugh and why, and what is laughter, because I don't, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Let's talk a little bit about laughter. Let's talk a little bit about the psychology of work. Let's talk about self-worth and work. Let's see if we can unlink the two. Talk about lack and abundance. We're going to touch on all these things, maybe. Today's show is brought to you by Walkabout. Walkabout is an AI matching service that lets you take walks with people around the world, living or dead. With a premium subscription, you can take a walk with people who are no longer with us. Take a walk with Abraham Lincoln, Sojourner Truth, Julius Caesar, Frank Sinatra. The Walkabout app was built to bring people out of loneliness and isolation. And there's nothing better than taking a walk with the dead. As a result, the app, based on your schedule, will we'll schedule it and will actually use the voice uh, through artificial intelligence, the voice of a person who is no longer with us. You might hear Abraham Lincoln saying, hello, I'm Abraham Lincoln. Tell me about your day. Uh, me, I'm writing the Gettysburg Address, and then it's off to the theater. Connect, walk, and learn about others with Walkabout. Now, we always like to welcome people no matter what emotional state they're in. Here are emotional shout-outs. If you walk onto the set of The Fear of the Walking Dead and no one bats an eye, welcome. If before you walk into a public place, you scream the words, Hello, should I wear a mask or not? Let's go. Welcome. If you refer to your partner as this one, welcome. If you wish the one minute of silence on CBS Sunday morning would go on for a year, welcome. If you're listening to a podcast and get angry with your family when they try and talk with you, welcome. If you go to pick up your dry cleaning and snap at the person behind the counter, why is everyone controlling me? Welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. And right now, it's that time again. It's time for the funky first lady of the frontal lobe, for the professor of procrastination solutions, for the Zorro of Zoloft, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, uh, welcome to the program. We're new, Ed. <laughs> the Zorro of Zoloft. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, let's just talk about for a second Let's talk about what makes you laugh. And when you see people these days in your practice at ConnectedParenting.com, do people laugh? Are people having trouble laughing? Or are they laughing because of tension? What, what's going on with people? And is that a prescription? Is that a social prescription? Laughter is definitely. Laughter re releases endorphins, all kinds of beautiful chemicals in the body that are actually healing. Laughter really is medicine, truly. And and isn't that true for tears at the same time? Like if, if you evaluate your mental health 
can you sort of gauge like what's some of the things that are going on between you and your emotions if you if you never laugh and you never cry? <laughs> like, what is that? Is that overwhelm? That's actually called anhedonia. That's when you're like, you're completely, that your emotions are completely flat, like your affect is flat. And that can actually be, it's it's similar to depression. It, it's sort of like, you know, something's funny. You think you should be laughing, but you can't, or you know, something's sad, but you can't make yourself cry. It's like, you're looking through life through thick panes of glass and you just can't feel it. That's a, not a pleasant way to be. The, the truth is emotions are, well, we really are, um, we like to think of ourselves as thinking beings, as rational beings, but we're not at all. We're, we're feeling beings. Everything goes through the limbic system first, and then it ends up in the frontal lobe, not the other way around. So learning how to actually, you know, what's causing us to feel what we feel, recognizing patterns in our feelings, whether it's happiness or sadness, you know, not labeling emotions as necessarily negative, but information, and then really learning how to control your feelings so they don't control you is the key, but it's really difficult to do, but it's possible. And that's what we do here. That's what we would try to help people do every single time we have a show. Yeah. I mean, what would you say is the biggest skill that somebody could have to deal with today's world? Like what, if there was one thing that people could do to kind of deal with what's going on? Probably to, to transmute fear, like to, to actually alchemize it a little bit and, and allow it to be what it is and then let it go. Controlling fear, I think, is probably pretty key in any era. And what would be the, how's the, the process of doing that like in the moment? Like what, how do you identify it and then, and then figure out, is it simply just acknowledging it? Is that a big part of it? That's a big part of it for sure. It's difficult because it depends how much fear you carry and how, you know, fear and anxiety are sort of, they build up in your body and in your brain. And the more afraid you are, the more afraid you are. And the more your brain wants you to be alert because it thinks you're living in a dangerous, scary circumstance. And it can't tell the difference between what we're watching on the news and what's actually happening in front of us or what we're worrying about and what we're actually experiencing or what we're remembering or actually experiencing. And so just like you have a pot of boiling water on the stove, if you take it off, it's going to instantly stop boiling. But a second later, if you put it back on, it's going to go to a boil. That's kind of how anxiety works. So it's really about developing ways to cool the anxiety, to cool the system down so you don't have such a hair trigger. And anxiety is, it's a very, fear is a very tricky emotion. It's very essential. We wouldn't do very well without it. We absolutely need it to be normal functioning human beings, but it is, it is hard to control. I think the controlling, but what you say, controlling fear is a very difficult place to be mm-hmm. because you just something in, in me believes that I'm in danger when I'm actually not in danger. And mm-hmm. so my perception is off. My accuracy is off. And then the fear is, is, you know, keep going. Uh, I'm continuing to go with that as opposed to, okay, I get it. You're sending me a message. I'm, you know, supposed to be afraid of something. I'm actually not in danger. I'm okay. I'm going on, but thank you. Thank you. But thank you. And that's really it. It's, it's feeling the fear, sending yourself some love. That's a part of you. That's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to protect you. It's very diligent. It's very responsive and it's doing everything it can to keep you safe and keep you alive. And it's, it's sort of overactive, but it's all based on self-protection. It's all self-preservatory. 
The next is to thank it. Thank you for doing such an awesome job. I love you for that, but I'm actually not in danger at the moment. And then practicing that. And Ed, I think one of the best ways to practice this, and we've talked about this before on the show, is to, is to practice when you're watching TV or a movie or reading something or you're playing a video game or whatever you're doing. And when you have that moment where you're like, oh, something's going to happen in the show or whatever, actually practice centering yourself and dropping that emotion down and literally sort of imagine it going right from your head, right down through your stomach and relaxing that feeling and practice it when it's just normal stuff that you're doing and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And what will happen is in real life, there'll be something that's, you know, would alarm you more than it should. And you'll have that, you'll now have that instant reaction of going, wait a minute, no, calm myself down. And it's really about rewiring, but it takes practice. But you can rewire and you can do it, you know, just, just, just the way that you wired it in the first place, you know, how you learned that behavior. And to go unconscious, I, first of all, I think that you're doing two things that are really important. One is you're being conscious about something, which is like an antidote to most of the things that I get myself in trouble with when it goes unconscious and it's sort of like hab- habitual. It's figuring out what it feels like to transform a feeling, to acknowledge it and transform it. I'm not saying I can do any of these things. I can occasionally, but uh, 1967, I did something. But right now, I want to bring to the stage uh, a gentleman who always has really interesting projects, this guy, and is very inquisitive, I would say, uh, about mental health and well-being and all kinds of things. He should be a reporter. The book is called The History of Stand-Up, and the man is Wayne Fetterman. And Wayne, welcome to our regularly scheduled pogrom. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm swell. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so, uh, Wayne, yeah. what's what's going on when you're writing a book like the history of stand up that can yes. cause a lot of tension? That's a big it's a labor of love. Do you feel pressure when you're in the middle of when you're doing a project like that? That's a big project. So, yeah, I'm trying to think if I was under I mean, I have a lot of anxiety in life that I've learned to control, but not in the correct Jennifer style, the alchemy, the cool down, the boiling water way. Mine is just push it all down so I don't feel anything. And that's been great for me. So I'd like to <laughs> it's working. be able to. Yeah, Jennifer, I'd like to be able to learn to take it from my head, through my stomach, and then where does it go out my feet? Where does it end up? Is it? Let's say that. Like, yes. uh, we'll go with that. First of all, is that true? Do you feel an emotion before your brain processes information? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we are. How do you know that? How do you know that? That's I mean, that's really just science. We 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 actually feel and and beyond our conscious, we are we are incredibly aware of what's happening. Our amygdala, the part of the brain that's kind of the security system of the brain. Oh, yeah. I used to live next to the amygdalas in Silver Spring, Maryland. I remember your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey it's and Aaron Migdala. Yeah, I know them. Okay. It's constantly surveying the, your environment without you being aware. And then the second something's out of the ordinary, the second you hear something, smell yeah. something, there's a noise, there's a bang, boom, you're right into reaction mode. And we're reacting well, to facial expressions and micro expressions and all yes. kinds of all the time. We like to think we're super rational, but we're really super feeling. I agree with all of that. I agree that we react to micro expressions and that to noises and all of that. But I would think it would 
first go through my brain and then hit my whatever yes. emotion juice we, system. Yes, we like my to. But system. I guess I'm wrong about that. It's it's we like yeah. to do that, but it's actually the other way around. It really is. Wow, it reminds me of the old Emo Perfect. Phillips joke where he's like, the brain is the most complex organ in the body, but that's the brain telling you that. Uh, that's fantastic. And it reminds me of the other, who's the other guy who did the, I broke up with the farmer's daughter. She gave me a John Deere letter. Who, who oh, did that yeah, one? That was, of course, uh, yeah, that was Milton Earl, 1934. Was it? Listen, he gave me a John Deere letter, yeah. Wayne. Okay. I go know. Ahead. I got it. <laughs> go ahead. I got it. Just so you know, there's also another project that I've just finished that also gave me a little anxiety, and that's coming out today on home box office. I don't know when this drops, but it's on home box office. It's a two-part documentary about the comedian George Carlin. I've done his whole life. And yeah, so I've been busy on that as well. That's fantastic. I cannot wait for that. And I want to, I want to, I would interview you for an hour about that separately. Yeah. George okay. Carlin, George Carlin. Wow. Now you said home box office. So apparently it's coming out in 1975. That's the way I do. You know me, I like to use the anachronism. Like for example, the NBA, I always call the National Basketball Association, which is different than a league. It's different than the National Football League or the Major League Baseball. Yeah. There's no league. It's just an association of basketball players. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Uh, Wayne, what, what about that? Now, George Carlin, you've also done one on Gary Shandling. Yes, Amazing. Speaking of uh, so good. Yeah. What do you learn about yourself from doing these kinds of things? Oh, uh, well, there's, there's two things. There's one, just my own ability to help out in a project like, Hey, am I a great team player? Can I add value to this project? Or am I gumming up the works is one of my favorites. And then there's also a pride of parallels in my life and the life of the comedian we're doing the documentary on. And Carlin, just ridiculous life. And he, Jennifer, I will tell you, it's very much, he talked about that his technique for dealing with anything emotional was to push it all down until it became a crisis and then would deal with it. Like that was the best, unless it's a alarm, he's not interested. That is one way to deal with it, but you will deal with it. That's the thing, your body, your emotions, your health, somewhere along the line, you're gonna deal with it. Of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. I also, Jennifer, can I ask you this other question? It's a little bit of a sidebar thing. Sure. I have, I've been diagnosed with something, I don't know if it's in the DSM, but it's called exaggerated startle response. Do you know what that is? And is there any way to get that under control? Because it seems when it happens to me, like it's response, like it's happened so fast, there's no way I could control it. Well, and there isn't in that moment, it's it's a reflex almost, but yes, there are ways to deal with that. It's a reflex. I have, I have heard of it. And the, the example that I was just giving, like during a TV show or when you're reading something, when there's a moment where it's something's coming around the corner, you know something's going to ha happen or something, whatever, it's, and the music is building and you can feel your body reacting right. to that, do the opposite feeling. Like literally, I call it the emotional French press. press. Just like wow. pushing it right down, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. not away. Just You're actually just calming the body down. So you're retraining the brain to have a different response and really focus on that. Do it every time you're listening to 
anything or watching something or playing a video game or a blink game on your phone, just keep practicing, 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 practicing. The brain is very neuroplastic. You will eventually be able to, with, with commitment, alter that response. And you'll notice because something will happen. A bug will land on you or something will happen and you'll go, ah, instead of, ah, and it's just, it happens. It just, but it takes practice. It literally takes. Oh, okay. I always thought exaggerated startle response was a little different than like there's a scene and they're cross cutting between the guy with the gun and the lady who doesn't know he's right around the corner and all of that. Right. To me, exaggerated startle response is like it's it automatic. Goes from zero to a hundred. There's no, it's automatic. There's no yeah. buildup. It's yeah. true. It's true. But what we're doing is we're kind of tinkering with something. The thing you have to okay, understand society mm-hmm. is it's it's a bit of a beast and it loves you so much that it will love you until you don't have a life. Basically wow. every time you give it a win, it takes more and, and right. it, 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 sort of, yeah. it takes more and more claim until it's in control. Totally. With your startle response being in and there it, as well. Okay. Let's that, take the startle response off the table for a second. It's like this. <laughs> what about taking it off the table? You, okay. We're go taking ahead. it off the table. Just, <laughs> I, I get so I'm suggesting saying- that we tinker in a way that doesn't alert your anxiety. It's like, oh, it's just a show. I don't care if he's working on that. That's fine. Yeah. And you just kind of tinker and you play around in a different area of your brain. But the brain likes to generalize and neurons that fire together will wire together. And so over time, I'm not saying it'll go away completely, but you will find that your startle response lessens. All right. I love it. Okay. Wayne, uh, quickly, I'm, I'm just what recommending to you two episodes of Breaking Bad before going to bed and then chase it with Welcome Back, Cotter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's the chaser. Okay. All right. Here's the second question okay. is what about sometimes I get generalized anxiety, which I call being nervous and jerky. Yeah. When I deal with somebody who uh, is like super aggressive or, you know, not nice to me or something like that, like maybe bullying type personality, or I don't know if Ed, if you've ever felt anything like from the person, not from something, from something they've done in the past kind of gets re-triggered or something. Yes. Yes. I have felt that. I had somebody in college in particular, and I threw a bagel at him. Oh, so you um, attacked. Okay. Yeah, so. I attacked. But I was right. really angry. I, I, It's very rare for me. I usually go in. But that time I threw a bagel yeah. about 350 feet and broke somebody's nose. You know, that was probably 18,000 years of ancestral rage that came uh, up in that moment. I don't know. But I, I feel I, like, I mean, Ed, it is a good point because I do feel sometimes there is some rage involved with the anxiety. I kind of, that is... I know you're making like the bagel thing can't possibly be true, but the race thing, I do feel a little like, like, mm-hmm. like I want to hit this person or something. Mm-hmm. And generally, call it fight or flight. Jump in. Well, that's it. It's fight or flight. It's the same part of the brain. It's exactly the same. It's like the two sides of the coin. You have two choices when you're terrified fight back, throw a bagel, or run. It's exactly the same part of the brain. So when, when you say you have like a generalized anxiety, do you mean you can just think about that person and the anxiety comes or it's when you're in, in with someone yeah. like that or the exact person? I'm kind of, let me think. I mean, I'm going to be specific with you. Let me I'm just, I'm just going to um, tell you that there's it, a problem with this whole recording. I, I'm hearing you sometimes and then not hearing you other times. So if you're, if you're listening to this, that's an internet thing. If you're listening to this and you're hearing Wayne go in and out a little bit, 
you're having generalized anxiety and you need to calm down. But no, there's actually an internet problem. Okay. So Wayne, continue. That's a good question. Let me think. I believe that I guess I can conjure up that anxiety just thinking about this person, but it's, but when it's in person, I would say it goes from let's, I'm just going to use numbers on a scale of 10 just to be, to help you out a little bit. I would say, I guess I could get a one or a two out of thinking about it, but near the person is like eight or nine. Like it's, uh, it's really quite intense. Okay. So, so let's, figure out what we can do about this. Cause this is something that most people experience and most people do not, especially if you're a highly sensitive person or you, you tend towards anxiety, you don't like conflict. Right. It's terrifying. So there's a couple of things, generalized anxiety, that what that really in the, the scientific definition of that is you could be minding your own business, feeling perfectly happy. And then out of nowhere, you just get bowled over by this unexplained a surge of it of right, right. I just, just interrupt you that that is some that is not what i'm talking about okay so then what you're talking about that. is yeah. it'll be it's it's so it's it's triggered correct okay so then and and this is a pretty normal trigger like here's the thing i need to, people to understand about anxiety it is so important that we have it it is not the enemy we would be complete disasters without it. We would cross the street without looking. We'd punch people in the face. We'd eat moldy cheese. Like we, we wouldn't make any good decisions and we wouldn't even be here. Anxiety alone is the reason we exist. So anxiety is an important, essential emotion that really just gets a bad rap. What happens for a lot of us is that anxiety gets out of control. And I've used this example on the show before. You, you kind of think of it like a guard dog. And at first the guard dog, you know, just looks out the window and barks at people that look suspicious. And then the dog's like, well, hey, I'm good. My person's still here. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bark at everybody outside the window just to be safe. And then the dog's like, you know what? I'm going to bark at people inside too. Then eventually the dog is like, you know what? I'm so good at this. I'm just going to bark at anyone that comes near my person. And then eventually it's like, you know what? I'm just going to lie on my person. I'm going to sit on his chest. I'm going to lick his whole face. I'm going to not let him get up so that he's safe and you're safe, except you have an 85 pound dog on your chest and you can't get up. And that's sort of what anxiety does. And when you think about getting rid of the dog, that's terrifying. When you try to get rid of your anxiety, it'll, it'll rear up. It'll be like, what are you doing that for? What are you doing those strategies for? You need me. Are you crazy? You won't survive a day without me. Right. And, and, it, and it's true to some degree. We don't want to get rid of the anxiety. We want to train the anxiety. We want to train the dog. So it lies in its little dog bed, and sleeps until you actually need it, like when a burglar comes in. So we have to sort of redefine our relationship with anxiety and we have to make some peace with it. And we have to send it a little bit of love because we need it. it it's valuable. It's important. We could not exist without it. We just want to train it. So what happens is anxiety gets triggered and because it loves you so much and it's been out a lot and the dog is all over you, it's going to jump on you and pin you down and lick your face over smaller and smaller things. So now your, your, your brain recognizes a pattern. Oh, that person reminds me of so-and-so, or that person was not nice to me last time. The anxiety then rears up trying to protect you. And before you know it, you're in full fight or flight at a nine or a 10 ready to bolt or, or getting enraged when nothing's even happened yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I totally got that whole metaphor. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, are you part of this or? Is, are no, you I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. I, I just went into uh, what I would call cat host catatonia. No, I'm uh, I'm listening. And I have to say that controlling fear is something that I think a lot of comedians deal with. And I think we become so used to, again, I'm globalizing, <laughs> but I think that it's true. I think that a lot of, you know, people in comedy become used to this kind of reactivity, which sort of snaps in and it takes the place of difficult emotions sometimes. And you switch right to humor. You don't even know what, what you're right. feeling really, but you just switch it. And that's how I grew up as a kid. I switched it to humor and then it became like a reflex. This idea of controlling emotions is so devastating to people being, you know, mentally well, I feel. I think that not only did Jennifer talks about it a lot, is that's exploring emotions, feeling them, and actually toggling back and forth between them, actually being able to have more than one feeling at the same time, even. And that's being truly alive. And that's really all I have to say about that. And uh, that's really all I'm going to say for the rest of the show. Maybe I like the word training our emotions instead of controlling. Because the minute you say control our anxiety, your anxiety is not going to like that. It's like, it really won't. It's, it, it's a very interesting emotion that way. So Wayne, I want to take this back though to like people. So, so this is someone that you can go to an eight because this person has been nasty to you in the past and you're afraid that a confrontation is going to come. So how do you normally, how do you deal with that? Like, what do you do right now? Well, it depends. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes I just kind of, breathe through it like that old technique and then try to just be in the moment. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but just so, you know, cause not, maybe nothing has happened. And then my, this is my newest technique. My newest technique is to sort of reframe it as like, if you can't handle this, you're, you're ridiculous. So it's, so make it almost like it's a funny thing. Like it's a funny challenge. Like, let's step up your game a little bit. Anywhere near as bad as you think it is. And if it is that bad, you can handle, you've had much worse than this in your life. Sure. So this this is nothing. So why are you making a big deal out of this? And you're this is on you, actually. As a, this is on Wayne Fetterman, as opposed to on the, the jerk I'm dealing with. <laughs> does okay. that work with you? Does that work for you, Wayne? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it's, yeah, I just like to, you're giving, make myself responsible as opposed to him. I love that. So you're giving your brain context. You're talking back to your anxiety because <laughs> it can be a two-way conversation. It is a right. two-way. That's huge. And then another technique which can work if you're talking to someone who's actually, well, first of all, if you're if they're being really horrible, get out of there. Like you don't have to take that. No, sometimes you can't get out of the situation. That's That's horrible. The and, and other people are having trouble controlling their emotions. So there's a lot of people out there who get really angry and shout and scream. And their anger and fear are the same thing. Anyone screaming at you is afraid. They're just going the fight or flight route. Um, right? okay. So you don't mm -hmm. have to stand there and take it. You can walk away. And then the other thing, too, sometimes if you can't walk away and it's not that bad, you literally repeat the following phrase. Do not say this to the person because it'll make them really mad. But try this the next time. In your head, you're saying to yourself, to the person, don't say it out loud. I'm sorry that this is the only way you can manage your fear and emotion. I'm sorry that you're going through so much. And this is the only way you can think of to manage your fear. Say versions of that over and over in your head. 
while the person's saying whatever they're saying to you, and two things happen. One, you keep your frontal lobe on, which is the part of the brain that can actually talk back to the rest of your emotions. But something really interesting happens. Your facial expressions, those micro expressions start to change on your face. And the person who's being aggressive and not being nice to you is going to pick that up very subtly. This is very subconscious. It is crazy. It is like having a superpower. As soon as you start thinking those things in your head, the other person often will start to calm down. They'll just, it's so interesting yeah. practice. Just play around with it. It's amazing. Now I'm writing it down, I'm writing it down right now. I'm writing and, it down. and it's the same thing to do with breathing. Not that you want to take a big, deep breath in front of that person, right. but it, uh, what I've heard and I've experienced this, you, the, if you regulate your breathing consciously, yeah, other people will match it. It'll start to sync up. Yeah. yeah. And often the person is looking for, they don't even know they're doing this. They're looking for a reaction, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're looking for an outlet. They're literally looking for adrenaline. Honestly, sometimes people are just medicating themselves on other people. They want to fight. They're addicted uh, to that. And so they happens, can get adrenaline. They get adrenaline. And guess what adrenaline is? A stimulant, just like ADHD medication right. that lights up the frontal lobe. Our kids will do this to us all the time. They'll basically try to use us as their medication. They'll want their adrenaline hit. But if you stay super neutral yeah. and you try to find a way in your head to just feel sorry for that person, I'm sorry for what they're going through. What must their life be like? What must their relationships in their life be like? I'm sad for them that this is the way they operate. And if that's what you're thinking, you'll start, you'll start to shift what's happening to them and you'll feel better. You're, you'll control your own biochemistry. And it's actually pretty powerful. It's not it, easy to do. No, I like it. I it's like true it. empathy. That's true empathy yeah. is what that is. And and that's uh, that can be sold and bought. I have some, I have a can of it. That's true empathy and empathetic listening. You know, when during the uh, 2016 election, um, we right. were trained in empathetic listening. We had to call different voters from different parties. Right. And we would just ask them what their lives were like and what they wanted in their lives. And then we'd listen. That's how I got everybody in the country to vote for Trump. No, that's how that's how that's that's how you connect with a human being. And it becomes like you realize that you both want the same things at that point. Well, that's interesting. All right, I'll try that. You know, sometimes, Jennifer, and I'm not proud of this, just so you know me a little bit. I'll go into like passive aggressive. Do you know that move? Yes. Yeah, I'll go into that. Don't don't judge me. But that's there is. A of side course, of we all do that. And what does that mean? What does that look like when you do it, Wayne? So give me an example. I, you, you, you like my shirt, but you're like, nice, nice of you to dress. Uh, what, who are you going out with 1987? Is that what you're? Well, no, that would just be a, that would just be aggressive. No, that's just, that's just an aggressive thing. It was okay. like, while Wayne is thinking about this, today's yeah, show is brought to you by Oxidol. People do this. I'm passive. It's when you want to say something, but you're afraid you're going to yes, say something. Yeah, I'm afraid to escalate, but I'm still angry and I need to say something. Yeah. So again, let, let's look at that for a second, because that is your emotions looking out for you, mm -hmm. right? It's saying, it's you saying, you know what? You can't let this totally go. So it's, it's <laughs> this amazing self-preservatory part of your brain. So you have to recognize that. But honestly, like sometimes it's so much easier to just call it out in a gentle way, not a mean way, or walk away and just say, hey, you know what? I'm not participating in this conversation. This is feeling pretty intense for me. We can, we can try it another time and just leave. The other person won't know what to say. Okay, I have an example for you. Wayne, when I, this is going back many, many years when I was an intern at a, at a mental health agency and I, I was working with another student who 
was had already done more, uh, you know, the work than me, and we, you know, we should already been exposed to the. We had to do everything with with a one way mirror, so we'd be in a family room with a family, and then there'd be this ridiculous one way mirror where there'd be twenty five people behind this mirror, psychologists, social workers, other students, all watching this interview. It was insanely terrifying, and this other woman was really quite good at it. She'd been, and I was jealous. I was jealous. I was. I thought they didn't care about me at this agency, and that everyone cared about her and. She came back into the student office after leading a particularly fabulous interview. And I said something kind of passive aggressive, like sort of nice, but not really nice. I wish I could remember what it was, but I'll never forget this woman's reaction. It was unbelievable. She looked at me and she said, you know, I don't need you to like or dislike my work, right? (laughs) Like just calm, just super collected. And she just kind of grabbed her coffee and walked away. And I was left with, first of all, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen anyone do. It was <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It stripped me, right, of, of what I was trying to do, but without her being nasty or mean. And I, I never said anything like that, not only to her ever again, but anyone ever again. That was a pretty life-changing moment for me. So sometimes when somebody's being really nasty, and you're just like, hey, I'm sorry you're having a hard time, but this conversation is not feeling great for me. It's not feeling safe. I'm, I'm out. Happy to talk to you about it later. It leaves the other person with nothing to play with, nothing to do. And they're the one then that just kind of looks like they crossed the line. So you're getting in touch with your feeling. You're, you're admitting what's going on with you. And you're saying, I'm not going to be part of, the, part of this experience right now. But you're not doing it emotionally. It's not like you're a bad person. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not, neutral. It's neutral. Strong, but neutral. And it, that's pretty dynamic. I mean, that people, if you can pull that off, people are usually like, whoa. Yeah, I can see. That's like a, uh, almost like a, a reversal. Like I a, wish I could a, do that with an audience. Yeah. I wish I could do that with an audience. I wish I could start my act by saying, you know, I get, just got to get something off my chest. I don't need you people to like me tonight. <laughs> And just start with that. Well, there is a famous, famous set on yeah. Deaf Comedy Jam by Bernie Mac and a couple comedians before he goes on, the, his comedy friend gets booed, basically booed off the stage. And so he comes out and he uses the MF compound word, but he, he starts every joke with, you don't understand, I'm not afraid of you, MF compound word. Wow. And... It, people loved it, loved it. And it became like a legendary comedy set. Like, just like, oh, guess what? I'm turning this around. This is not about you. Like, I'm not scared of you. It was really quite powerful to watch. Right? Centered and strong. I love that. Interesting. Bernie Mac, he's he's dead now, but still. No, but still, you're not saying that one thing leads to another. It does not. I think that's very interesting. And I think, you know, that's a super example going yeah. on stage of what it's like to try to control your, you know, to, to controlling your fear um, usually, but then you're in the act. So, you know, you can't really think about it. You're not really thinking about it, but really the best moments I've had on stage is when I've taken enough time to be a human being, which means pausing, not being in a hurry and actually letting people le- walk out, letting, letting people, people walk, walk out. out, letting people not like me. Yes, I know. With this tone of voice, listen to the tone. <laughs> With this condescending, this condescending, tone-y. I don't need you to like me now. 
No, it's but I almost it's borderline patronizing it. Borderline, borderline. I, I skate that line. But really, honest to God, you know, I mean, I started <laughs> talking about mental health in my own act, but I, I didn't carry it through. I did it in a one man show, but I didn't I never really carried it through to my act. I used to say my whole life I've suffered with depression and I knew that one day I'd learn how to make this funny. Tonight is not that night. And I would start with that. But now there's an opening for something. But I would not go through it. Well, can I say to Jennifer, thank you. Every time I come on this show, I feel like I'm stealing a free therapy session. Oh, I love it. That's great. Wayne, like, we're copying feel like that. I'm gaming. I'm gaming the uh, podcast world. Why not? It's fantastic. I want to say one thing, though, Ed, you were talking about like stand like on stage. Like, I think there's a big difference between, for example, Wayne being on stage and someone saying something and actually face to face with somebody having a conflict like the The second one's usually harder, like a face to face. Yes. 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 Absolutely. I you have so much power when you're on the stage, the microphone, number one, but you're also, you're elevated. The lights are on. I mean, it's a, it's a, you, it's a right. It's yeah. your, it's your um, persona. It's your archetype when you're on the stage, but yeah. having a confrontation with someone one-on-one is terrifying. And, and it's what, it's a very big fear that a lot of people have, but using these techniques can really make a difference actually. And it can make you far less afraid of conflict. That is yeah, a really I- concrete. Wayne, are you going to do that next time? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm going to try all these techniques. I wrote them down. Can I, do I have time for one more question or are we out? Sure, of course, of course. Okay, Jennifer, here's another thing that I've noticed. Tell me what your acute observational skills make of this. Okay. Sometimes when I'm on stage and I find myself getting like self, self self-aware, I guess is the word for it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually a situation where it's not just a crowd of people, but there's somebody specific in the audience that I know is there yes. that I maybe want to impress as right. opposed to just a, just, Oh, I'm doing a set of comedy without any, with, with the, just the usual stakes of getting laughs. And now it's like an elevated stakes. And that sometimes puts me in my head as opposed to right. in my act. Right. That, and that's actually pretty normal. And it, it, it can also happen if you happen to pick out one person in the audience that just looks bored or something, or they're on their phone and you'll get in your head about that. I mean, when I do speaking engagements, that can throw that me That doesn't, up. yeah, that actually, because I can make fun of that. I'm always like, oh, yeah, these are my fans. They don't like to laugh. They like being judgmental. They like, if it's a stranger or like, oh, they bring reading material to the act. I don't, I, that never bothers me. So then what's so, happening is your your brain has tagged the person in the audience as more meaningful. Not not that they matter more, but that how what they think of you. Right. And how they evaluate you and how you feel, because now it's a very personal relationship with that person that your anxiety that your anxiety will get tr- triggered there. The audience will disappear and it'll just be that one person in that space. That'll happen to me. I say to my family, don't like when I'm doing speaking engagements, don't don't, don't come. Oh, so you <laughs> have this. I love it. Yeah, I don't want you there. I, I get more nervous when there's people I know in the audience for oh, sure. Yes. So why feel, is that? Why I feel like that? I have to take care of them and I feel like I want to prove something to them or right. I'm going to let them down. Because their opinion, because the, the audience, obviously they're real people and they matter, but the people that you have relationships with, that you've built relationships with, mm-hmm. that matters more to you in that moment. And, and it's more about just that second, that quick thought of like, oh, there they are. 
that's all the brain needs. The, the second there's that little jolt of like, <gasps> right? The second that happens, yes. the doesn't know it's because your cousin's sitting there or it suddenly thinks, okay, he's in danger. Something's on fire. Something's going to fall on me. This is bad. And it takes over. And now you're having a reaction instead of a response. Yes. And that's, that's kind of how the brain works. That, that midbrain, it doesn't care what it is. It just, it feels that tension in your body, that <gasps> suck in of air, that little jolt that makes your heart beat faster. And it doesn't care what it is anymore. It thinks but, it's going to kill you. It thinks but, you're in but got to slow it down. Got to yeah. slow it down at that moment. You know what the old uh, timer, the old timer comedy comedians used to say to us? They'd say, if you think you're going too slow, slow down. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's a little beyond. It, yes, I agree with that. I, you're talking about working a crowd. I'm talking about. No, I'm talking. I'm talking about managing your. I'm talking about dealing with your anxiety of disappointing that person. The emotions are fast. They're like reactive, right? So what you want to do is slow down, like, hang on a second. But I thought it was interesting what Jennifer said, that you were like, you want to avoid it. You don't even want those people in the crowd when you're making those speeches. Yeah. Right. You don't. But what I'm saying is to respond to the, that by doing a caring thing for yourself, if you can. And the simplest thing to do is to take a breath, which, which helps you to slow down. You want to slow down. It is tells you to speed up. Jennifer, is that the advice you would give? Well, the, the truth is you have to, like you have to take that quick second and you have to take your, your, you have to put your frontal lobe back on, right? The, mm -hmm. the frontal lobe is the part that's up there on stage, doing your thing, scanning the crowd, deciding what you're going to do next. That's all higher order thinking. That's all the job of the frontal lobe. Correct. It's all about prioritizing and motivating and all that stuff. The midbrain's job is to freak out. It just, it doesn't care what it is. It, it doesn't know the difference between your mother-in-law sitting in the audience and a, a boulder that's going to fall on you. It, it thinks you're in danger when you have that fear response. So it takes over. And as soon as it takes over, it literally severs contact with the frontal lobe. And now you're in a fight or flight moment. Now you're having a fear-based response and your frontal lobe is turned up. And we need that, like there's that we need that for our survival. There's many, and you're not going to stand while a bookshelf is falling on you and go, now is this, this could be dangerous. This could be bad. You're going to scream and you're going to run. Like th there's a very good reason why the brain has this amygdala hijack it's called. Yep. Right. So, cause that keeps us alive. Like you wouldn't cross the street with your frontal lobe. Oh, that car's coming very fast at me. Hmm. I wonder if it's faster to go this way. Maybe I should go back the other way. Cause if you do all that, you're going to get hit. You look at the car, you scream and you run to the side of the road and you don't even remember how you got there. That's called an amygdala hijack. And so in the split second that you have, when you have that fear response on stage, you do have to actually exhale. So it's really interesting because we talk about taking a deep breath, but taking a deep breath is actually not the best response when you're anxious because that's the first thing you do when you're going to run, <gasps> right? You take that big breath in. Yeah. You, you actually you're listening to this, Ed. Are you have you to exhale. I just exhaled. It's the exhale. Right. If you were going to, if you thought you dropped your phone in the toilet and it hit the ground, you're like, oh, phew. right. It's that exhale of breath. So you see the mother-in-law, you okay, see the audience breathe out. First of all, Jennifer, and you're letting it go. First, I love that you think, I love that you think that I'm married. I love it. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> But keep going, keep going, well, keep just, going. You know, You're mother, married to fear. Mother-in-law no. can trigger people. <laughs> <laughs> have a long-term relationship with anxiety. With fear. Incredible. 
fear. Wayne. So what, whoever it is that triggers no. that in you, it's an exhale. That you're gonna do, right? So you exhale. That's a physical thing. So there's yes. anything else to get into, as you like to call it, the frontal lobe what? movement, right. whatever they call it. Can I just say, activity? can I say one thing about this though? Wayne, here's even beyond that. It's like beyond oh. the planet of the apes. Mm -hmm. Beyond it is, hey, I know somebody's coming to my show tonight. I might get anxious. And as a result, when that happens, if and when that happens. I'm going to take two steps to my left and I will exhale. And that, my friends, is mental health. And I will see you at the premiere. I'm kidding. You're talking about something really important, cognitive rehearsal, right? Imagineering. Yes. Imagine yes. on stage, seeing that person calming down and moving on with your act and being fabulous. Remember, the midbrain can't tell the difference between a memory, something that's happening, or something you're imagining. It's all the same to the midbrain. So if you rehearse it over and over and over again in your head that you notice someone that you know, you suddenly okay. get hurt and then you, you, well, you neutralize it, your brain will be able to do that on stage. And, and, and you have a plan. You have a plan. You're planning for, you plan for everything. We plan for everything except how to deal with our thoughts and feelings. We plan for everything. And this right? is why you practice the other stuff I told you too, right? So that when you're right, following that situation on stage, now you have the neural hardware. Now you, it's... It's more of a reflex to calm down than to panic. And you can go to the neural hardware store. You can. Yeah. I get my keys made there. Of course. Yeah. This is amazing. Wayne, uh, you know, it's always. On, Wayne. He's the best. Wayne is the best and Jennifer's the best. It, what's best about this is that Wayne has a genuine curiosity about his thoughts and feelings. He's very inquisitive and he's been going steady with fear. <laughs> he has he is married to fear. Guess else, guess what else we learn? He what? doesn't like to pay for therapy. So Yes. So we give you we give him we that. give you therapy and it helps our show, but it also helps you. And that's why America's great. I don't know. Um anyway, I can't so you know. though. Ed, this is why, right? Because yeah. not everyone is, can go to therapy. Not everyone can afford therapy. Not in, and a lot of people wouldn't necessarily go. And I want we want people to have tools just from this conversation, just from this podcast. So Wayne, thank you for that. The other thing I just want to quickly add, and then we we should wrap up, is this takes practice. You're not going to do this three times and it's done. Like this is something you wouldn't go to the gym, do four sit-ups, and wonder why you don't have apps. Like this is something you have to actually incorporate. All of us need to incorporate into our thinking and into our pattern of being so that eventually we rewire. And you will gain a second of relief. And then all of a sudden that second of relief is like, oh, that's something I can do. Okay. That's a choice I can make. Oh, it's not outside of me. It's actually, I can make these choices. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And really I'm going to listen to this episode when it's done. <laughs> I did not now, but I will when it's done. Wayne, I can't thank you enough. I want to talk to you off camera about uh, George Carlin, but we can look for that. That's going to come out at some point on home box office. It comes on the the 20th. That's a, we're already at the, yes, uh, the 20th of May. Oh my God. And it's going to be, it's going to be a, a four hours about George Carlin's life. Oh, we go deep, baby. We go. That is so ex I'm so excited about this. The Gary, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling is genius. You should watch that. 
And then immediately after that, or the following weekend, you watch on May 20th, starting on May 20th, all about George Carlin, Wayne Fetterman, the amazing Wayne Fetterman. And thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And, and can I thank Jennifer in particular? Ed, you know, I thank you yeah, in life. But Jennifer, yeah. I never get to talk to. I've never met her in life. Nothing. But I appreciate well, the so free cool. advice. Really fun. Thank you. And so helpful for everyone listening. But you're asking questions that most people would be asking. So thank you. And thank you for, and now you're break up with fear. It's going to be tough, but you will break <laughs> up and I will come to the breakup. And I wish I had a better line for that. But wait. You're okay. going to resolve. You're going to work together, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Wayne, I can't thank you enough. Really thank appreciate you. it. And we will, and Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. And everybody listening, go to connectedparenting.com, connectedparenting.com. You can find podcasts, you can find all kinds of media, you can find classes, you can find services, books. Jennifer does so many things and they're so helpful and interesting and they, they help you change your life, which is really uh, huge. The, these tiny things that seem, you know, like, the, well, of course you would do that. It changes your life. So I'm going to really, um, I'm going to recommend that you go there. And also, I'm going to recommend that you listen to our podcast wherever you can. And, uh, you know, look for the good. And keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick. We'll see you next time. Bye.